Support for this show comes from SoFi Invest. Alternative investments are now available on SoFi. Unlock the potential to build and protect your wealth with alts including real estate, venture capital, pre-IPO unicorns, and more at SoFi.com WSJ. Active investing products offered through SoFi Securities, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Alternative funds have unique risks, including the risk of loss, may charge high fees, can be illiquid, and may not be suitable for all investors. Prior to investing in any fund, carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and important information contained in a fund's prospectus. Markets wobble ahead of today's U.S. jobs report. Plus, China's Xi secures an unprecedented third term in office, and the U.S. and E.U. move to lock down supplies of critical minerals. Europe in particular has talked about the possibility of a buyer's club for raw materials where allies work together to make sure they've got solid supply chains for sourcing the materials they need. It's Friday, March 10th. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal, and here's the AM edition of What's News, the top headlines and business stories moving your world today. Stock markets and bond yields are falling today, capping a volatile week of trading. Journal editor Alex Frangos says that news on the future course of U.S. rate hikes, continued strong labor market demand, and signs of trouble in the banking sector have all combined to royal share prices. The main thing seems to be this concern about the banks, and specifically Silicon Valley Bank, which is a medium-sized bank out on the West Coast that caters to the venture capital community. Late Wednesday, it announced it was raising fresh capital and had sold a bunch of its assets, government bonds mostly, at a pretty substantial loss. And investors really weren't having much of it. The shares plunged yesterday. They continue to be down another 20% pre-market this morning. And so there's this real concern that the problems don't just lie with this bank, but that banks in general hold a lot of government bonds that have lost value because bonds lose value when interest rates go up. Most people think that the big banks are fine, but anytime medium-sized bank gets in trouble, people get really jittery. And Alex, there is more that already jittery investors are going to be watching closely today, right? Yeah, it's a manic Friday. We have the jobs report later today, which everything is riding on in terms of whether the Fed does another 50 basis point interest rate increase or, or does something smaller than that. So, you know, if the job market is really hot, that means inflation probably is going to be really stubborn and hard to go away. I think the, the big change was Jerome Powell on Wednesday talking tough about inflation. And I think it punctured a little bit of a hole in the idea that we've moved past the inflation troubles in the economy. And that sentiment is what drove markets higher in the first month of the year. And now everyone's like, well, maybe we're not out of the bear market and there's more pain to continue. The U.S. jobs report is due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. We are reporting that former President Donald Trump has been invited to appear before a New York grand jury that is probing his alleged role in paying hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels on the eve of the 2016 election. The move is the latest indication that Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg is nearing a decision on whether to bring a criminal case against Trump. The grand jury has heard or will soon hear from all the individuals who played a key role in the hush money payment to Daniels, who alleged that she had an affair with Trump. Trump has denied the affair as well as any wrongdoing and called the investigation politically motivated. A spokeswoman for Bragg declined to comment. 
Xi Jinping has secured an unprecedented third term as China's head of state after being granted another five years as president earlier today. Xi's appointment was approved unanimously by more than 2,900 lawmakers assembled in Beijing, a move that journal reporter Chun Han Wang says comes in spite of several issues with Xi's governance over the past few months. Particularly with how China handled its exit from zero COVID policies, harsh lockdowns and mass testing had caused disruptions to supply chains and disruptions to the broader economy. And this will be a problem that she has to tackle, trying to find ways to revitalize the Chinese economy, restore business confidence. And at the same time, uh, as president, being China's chief diplomat, he will be fronting Beijing's engagements with Washington at a time where the relationship between the two superpowers seem to be getting more and more tense and uh, the rivalry between them getting more and more aggressive. Seven people have died in a shooting in the northern German city of Hamburg last night. That is according to local police, who said that the shooting took place in a Jehovah's Witnesses center, though they have yet to establish a motive. Mass shootings are rare in Germany, where gun ownership is severely restricted, with the latest large-scale attack occurring in 2020. And a U.S. rail industry group has called for certain rail cars to be immediately removed from service and inspected to avoid possible derailments. In a rare advisory, the American Association of Railroads said that one of its railroads had experienced three loose wheels on cars that were designed to carry coiled steel and that any cars with those wheels were at an increased risk of derailment. The advisory comes after a Norfolk Southern train derailed yesterday in Alabama on top of a derailment last week in Ohio. Federal transportation safety officials are investigating both incidents. Inflation has been the focus of investors, politicians, and everyone shopping in their local supermarket over the past year. It has also been a focus of the more than 100 mutual funds and ETFs that are aimed at protecting investors from inflation, funds that should have offered investors a safe haven amid rising prices. But new data from Morningstar Direct shows that is far from what actually happened. And here to explain why is Journal Markets reporter Eric Wallerstein. Eric, what happened here? Why have these inflation protection funds underperformed in the last year? Yeah, this is kind of what these funds have been preparing for. You know, a record inflation surge, something we haven't seen in four decades. And they kind of faltered, performing not that much better than stocks. So... A lot of these funds, they have tips. These are treasuries that their price will change with inflation. And you'd hope that as inflation rises, so does their value. But these bonds, just like other bonds and treasuries that aren't hedged against inflation, were hit extremely hard by the Federal Reserve's interest rates. So investors kind of looking towards this area of their portfolio for protection and many times are disappointed to see pretty bad losses. Yeah, Eric, I'm looking at the numbers from Morningstar Direct here. Fewer than 10% of the inflation protection funds actually notched gains over the past year. Uh, Explain to me what separated the winners from the losers here. Yeah, there were a few funds that did hold up. There's an interest rate derivative trading fund that gained more than 40% in the past year and like 70 to 80% even going a little further back. 
But then there were other funds that also traded those same derivatives and did worse than your average bond or inflation-protected bond. So when investors are looking at a product and they see inflation protection and they see a little blurb about what that strategy might be doing, it is extremely hard to understand the risks that each of these strategies are exposed to. So I wonder, Eric, what does this mean for those investors who are looking for an inflation hedge? Yeah, so I think a lot of these funds, especially the more complex ones, charge pretty hefty fees for the trading that they do each day. So after kind of a banner year for inflation, when you're disappointed by these funds' performances, there's definitely a lot of investors saying, these just aren't worth the cost and turning towards maybe more conventional approaches like stocks such as food and beverage stocks or defense and aerospace stocks that might benefit from rising prices are areas they've looked to which don't expressly or explicitly target inflation, but might benefit from the current environment we're in. That was Wall Street Journal markets reporter Eric Wallerstein in New York. Eric, thank you for the update. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate it. Coming up, the U.S. and EU move to end their dispute over clean energy subsidies. We've got the details of today's announcement after the break. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. The United States and European Union have been on rocky terms in recent months after EV battery subsidies contained within Congress's Inflation Reduction Act disadvantaged EU businesses. But the relationship could be on the mend now, with President Biden and European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen poised to kickstart negotiations as early as today on a new trade deal focused on critical minerals. And Wall Street Journal reporter Kim McCrail joins me now with the details on this from Brussels. Kim, we are, I guess, just hours away from a potential announcement from the U.S. and the EU on all of this. What do we know at this point? Yeah, so the way officials have been talking about this is sort of a free trade light agreement that would be a little more specifically targeting critical raw materials. And the purpose of focusing on critical raw materials here is that some of the subsidies that are offered in the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which has a lot of subsidies and tax breaks available for clean tech manufacturing, some of those have some domestic content rules, some made in America or sourced in America rules that Europe doesn't qualify for. That's caused a lot of concern in Europe about companies shifting their investment over to the U.S. to qualify for these benefits. And the goal here is to try to find a way to allow critical raw materials that come from Europe to be sort of included in these domestic content rules. So that's what they're hoping to get at today. And Kim, just explain for us why there is such a focus on these critical minerals in the first place. This is basically a set of of minerals that are really essential for a lot of clean tech manufacturing for things like making electric vehicle batteries, motors, wind turbines, solar panels, all these things that are really essential for the broad economic transition away from using fossil fuels and are at the heart of a lot of clean tech manufacturing. And a lot of those currently come from China. Right. And China being a source of those minerals is, is partly a driver of these negotiations too, yeah? 
Yeah, that's right. The U.S. is having at the same time conversations with other partners, Japan, for example, about the critical raw materials issue. And the broader context in terms of some of these conversations is this concern about the current reliance on China for a lot of the raw material that is needed for for the clean energy transition and for industry. There's a huge reliance globally right now on China, and there's a push from Europe, from the U.S., to try to get toward a place where new supply chains are established for for critical raw materials. Europe in particular has talked a lot about the possibility of a buyer's club where allies work together to, to make sure they've got good, solid supply chains for sourcing the materials they need for this stuff. In terms of the impetus for this deal, Kim, I understand it's been coming from businesses within the European Union, including just as recently as this week. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, there's just been a huge amount of frustration from EU officials about the potential for these subsidies and the way that they're structured in terms of the domestic content rules that the U.S. might be, you know, luring companies away from Europe. Recently, Volkswagen's technology chief warned that because of what's happening now, Europe could risk losing the race for billions of dollars of investment that will be decided over the months and years to come. A battery maker called Northvolt, which is based in Sweden, has said that it would actually consider building a plant in the U.S. over one in Europe because of the IRA. I'm curious, Kim, bigger picture, how well does this deal ultimately address all of the underlying issues at play here? Yeah, it's a great question. It won't deal with all of the issues that, that Europe is concerned about. Just yesterday, Europe had its own announcement about subsidies. The European Union has some fairly strict rules about how governments can provide subsidies to companies with the goal of making sure that you don't have wealthy countries like Germany just massively outspending other countries in Europe and attracting all the industry to to one particular place. So so they have some some rules that are set up to try to balance out how subsidies are provided across the block. And they loosened those yesterday, offering up the possibility in, in pretty specific circumstances for governments to match the subsidies that are on offer in the U.S. So even this particular deal, it's one piece of a puzzle where there has to be, for Europe, a bigger response to the IRA and a broader effort to preserve their competitiveness in cleantech manufacturing. But it does deal with one of the very specific concerns and complaints related to critical raw materials, potentially, um, if it goes through the way officials are talking about. So it could make a difference. That was Wall Street Journal reporter Kim McCrail joining us from Brussels. Kim, thank you so much. Thank you. And finally, it is no secret that warming temperatures and melting sea ice are having a negative impact on the environment, though those conditions are providing at least one opportunity. Melting sea ice is leading to more possibilities for laying fiber optic cables across certain areas of the Arctic. That is WSJ Pro reporter Isabel Busquette, who tells our Future of Everything podcast that some companies are taking advantage of the melting ice in order to expand internet access in one of the most remote areas of the world. A change that could carry with it life or death implications at hospitals, including one in Alaska, in the northernmost city in the United States, which doesn't have doctors on site to read medical scans. First, they need to get those scans to Anchorage, and that's a really difficult process if you don't have a good internet connection. Sometimes it might be hours between the time they start uploading a scan and the time a doctor can actually look at it and tell them what's going on here. 
now those scans can be uploaded uh, a lot faster than they could, um, thanks to the fiber connection. You can learn more about the race to lay more Arctic internet cables on our sister podcast, The Future of Everything. And that's What's News for Friday morning. We'll be back tonight with a new show. I'm Luke Vargas with The Wall Street Journal. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening.